Hail and well met, everyone. Welcome to Geek Thyself, a podcast by a nerd for other nerds that love geeking out over random facts and esoteric trivia. My name is Heather, and I'll be your host as we journey into the wondrous land of information. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to this week's Geek Thyself. So this week, I'm going to finish up the second part of my cat FAQs from last week. So last week I ended with, why do cats hate water? And this week I'm going to start with the next question, which again, I got off that like top 10 Google list, which is why do cats eat grass? So again, like with most things, there's a lot of differing opinions because as usual, we can't ask them why they're eating the grass. So we just have to go based off of what information we have. A lot of cats like eating grass or other plant material, I do recommend caution with giving them any until you know whether or not it's safe for them. As I've mentioned in previous episodes, there are several plants that are toxic for cats that they should not be given. So one theory about the grass, and it's actually something that's pretty commonly expressed, at least in my experience, is that they eat the grass to make themselves vomit. So if they're not feeling well, or if there's something in them that they want to get rid of, they eat the grass and something about it upsets their stomach and they vomit everything back up. Evolutionarily, this would work well for them living in the wild because if they ate something that their body realized was not good for them and they needed to get rid of it, they could eat some of the wild grasses that were growing around them and have everything come back up. Now, I don't know that this is necessarily the only reason or even the primary reason, but it's definitely a plausible one. Another potential reason is that their body is craving some nutrients that are in that plant matter. This one is also very plausible because a lot of cats, especially in the wild, feral cats or big cats, will eat the entire prey animal that they kill. So they don't eat just the meat and leave behind all the organs. They actually do eat all the organs. This often includes things like the stomach and possibly even the intestines, depending on the cat. So in the wild, the cats would not just be eating the meat. They would also be getting any of the grains that might still be inside the stomach or intestines of the animal they had killed. What this means is that that's a natural part of their diet that they evolved to eat, at least in small amounts. And so their bodies might be craving some of those nutrients and minerals and whatever that only come in the in the plant matter and aren't available from just the protein of the meat. Another possibility, which kind of goes along with the wanting nutrients, might just be that the cats like the way it tastes. I do know that my own cats, one especially Mowgli, will try to chew on plants, so we have to be careful what we bring into the house, and I don't know whether he's doing it because he wants some extra nutrients. I do know that he doesn't often vomit up the plant matter, but he will sometimes. And I also know that it could be he just likes the taste because he keeps going back for more all the time. Okay, so the next question on the list was, why do cats like boxes? Now, this one I think most cat owners have experienced firsthand. I don't know about anybody else, but a couple of my cats, Mowgli in particular, will try to climb into the box sometimes before I've even fully emptied it after I get some kind of a delivery. He's literally forced his way into an Amazon box before I even had everything out of it because he just loves sitting in boxes so much. So... The biggest reason that they like boxes is that it's actually somewhat of an evolutionary defense. So living in the wild, 
big cats, for example, lions and tigers and things like that, the way they hunt and the way they protect themselves is by hiding and either sneaking up on their prey or not being discovered by their predators, which are few and far between, but they do exist, especially for their cubs and kittens. So if you think about it, a box is a perfect hiding spot. They can pop their head up and see what's going on around them, but they're actually hidden from the side if something was trying to look for them. Now, obviously, you and me walking around, we look down into the box and see the cat staring up at us and we just think they look cute or silly. But for them in the wild, what those boxes or some sort of similar cubby would do for them is it would hide them from you from the side of any of their prey or predators, but allow them to look up and out and see what's happening and then duck back down again. So it's a perfect little hidey hole, essentially. Another thing, too, depending on the household and the cat, is that a lot of cats don't like change. And so if anything has made them nervous or concerned or if they're stressed about something, sometimes hiding in something like that makes them feel more secure because they feel hidden and they feel protected. So if your cat happens to be a particularly nervous cat or maybe really hates strangers or really hates a particular noise or something like that, then for them, a box becomes a safe space to hide and be sort of camouflaged or hidden from whatever they're concerned about. It gives them a way to escape and feel more secure because they're protected on most sides and that means something can only come at them from one direction, which is the opening of the hole, and that makes them feel more safe. So either of those is a possibility depending on the cat. I also know that for my own cats, it seems like they enjoy playing in the boxes as well. It may, again, go back to the evolutionary hiding or to wanting to hide from something that makes them nervous, but just in general, they seem to enjoy playing with them and playing with us, you know, swatting at us as we walk by the box, that kind of thing. Okay, so the very last question on the Google Top 10 list, but not the last question I'll answer this episode since obviously we're only six minutes in, is what is a group of cats called? So there's a couple different names depending on the ages of the cats. Uh, For example, a group of related kittens is obviously called a litter, a litter of kittens. A large group of cats, adult cats specifically, is referred to as a clowder, C-L-O-W-D-E-R, clowder. And then a group of kittens that are not necessarily related, just a group of kittens in general, is called a kindle. Another term I've actually heard used for a group of cats is also a glaring, as in I'm glaring at you, which, I mean, honestly, given some cat personalities, kind of makes sense as a name for a group of them. I've been glared at by my cats before. I'm sure most other cat owners have as well. (laughs) Okay, so that ends the top 10 most searched or most Googled questions FAQs about cats. I got that list and did confirm some of my information actually from a magazine called DVM360. It's a veterinary magazine. We actually get them delivered to the hospital sometimes for the doctors or once or twice we've gotten them for the RVTs, which are the registered veterinary technicians. And essentially they're magazines for veterinarians with articles written by or citing other veterinarians. And sometimes there's medical information. Sometimes it's cute things like this. You know, what are the top 10 most searched questions? But it's overall a good magazine. And the particular article that I used 
for these questions is the 10 most searched questions about cats. And it's a from your veterinarian article. So basically it's a section or a, um, a running series where they ask veterinarians questions. In this particular case, they talked to Dr. John Sirabasi, Dr. Elizabeth Coleran, and Dr. Ernie Ward. Okay, so for the rest of the questions I'm going to answer for this particular episode, I'm actually using FAQs that I'm getting from a website called sprucepets.com. That particular website has a section that has a bunch of cat FAQs, and I'm just going to go through those and answer some of the ones that I feel comfortable answering. One of the first ones on there is actually one I answered last episode about how to age your cat and all that kind of thing. So obviously I'm not going to do that one again. One of the other first questions is actually something that I deal with a lot at work, and that is, how do I stop my cat from meowing at night? Or why is my cat meowing at night? So from what I see at work, one of the biggest concerns with this is whether or not your cat may have high blood pressure, especially if your cat is older. If your cat is really young, like two or three, it's less of a concern. It's still not impossible, but it's lower on the list of probabilities simply because of their age. It wouldn't be a bad idea to have them checked out by your veterinarian just to make sure there's nothing going on. You know, they can start meowing because they're in pain or because they're having some sort of episode. So that's definitely something to get checked out. For older cats in particular, high blood pressure is a concern for them meowing at night. They can get the ringing in their ears just like we do, the tinnitus or tinnitus, depending on how you want to say it. And for a cat, what they'll do sometimes is start yowling at night. And I've seen it quite a bit in cats that are older, like I said. You'll hear them, it'll be, you know, two or three in the morning, and the cats will just have to start yowling at the tops of their lungs. You know, the kind of thing. And yes, sorry for the bad cat impression, but you guys get the idea. That kind of noise is something we often refer to as yowling as opposed to meowing. And we will see it as a common side effect of the high blood pressure with the ringing in the ears. When things are quiet at night, the ringing becomes more obvious to them and they start yelling at it, trying to figure out what's going on and what it is. And the yelling then can cause the ringing to stop for just a second because the yowling is louder, as you heard earlier. <laughs> so then they figure out, oh, okay, if I yowl at it, it stops for a second. But the problem is, of course, they're doing this at 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning when you and I are trying to sleep. Since cats are generally nocturnal, it doesn't bother them as much. But for you and me, it sucks, especially if you have to get up at 5 or 6 in the morning like I often do. So if your cat is older and having this symptom, I would definitely recommend taking them to your vet and getting their blood pressure checked. Or if your vet doesn't have that ability, asking them about other places that might in your area. Because in addition to the yowling at night, the high blood pressure can also cause blindness and deafness. Both of those are because the blood pressure is too high in the nerves that affect sight and hearing. And so over time, especially if it continues to be high for an extended period of time, it can start to affect their vision and their hearing and they can have either blindness or deafness. I've seen both over the years that I've worked at the cat hospital, so I would definitely recommend that if your cat is having this, get them checked out. 
Another possibility for younger cats beyond just meowing at something random that they saw out the window is that they are nocturnal. And because they're naturally more nocturnal, they might be trying to get you to get up and play with them. Maybe they found something that they're playing with and it's getting them all riled up. Uh, if you have catnip toys in your house, I would recommend that perhaps you put them away at night when you try to go to bed. Because one possibility is also that they're getting into a toy that has catnip and the catnip is getting them a little riled up because of the effect it can have on them. So those are things to look at around the house. But definitely older cat yowling at night, I would recommend getting it checked out. Okay, so the next question is, what are polydactyl cats or Hemingway's cats, as they're sometimes referred to? So Ernest Hemingway, most people I'm sure will recognize that name. He was a famous author. And one thing that he was also known for, especially in the animal lover community, is that he was a huge, huge cat lover. He even provided for them in his will that there's a certain number of cats. I think it's around 60. They actually get to live at his property down in the Keys of Florida, and they're protected and cared for and all of that. But one of his first cats, or possibly the first, I'm not 100% clear on that, was a cat he got that had multiple toes, referred to as a polydactyl or many-toed cat. Polydactylism is actually a genetic mutation in cats, and it is a dominant trait. So if you listened to my previous episode on genetics, you know that that means if there's a possibility of the cat being polydactyl, if it has a polydactyl gene, it's going to express that trait. And because such a high percentage of the cats on Hemingway's Island now carry that trait, the polydactyl cats are sometimes referred to as Hemingway's cats or Hemingway cats. Now, normal cats with the normal numbers of toes have 18 toes. They have five on each of their front feet, the four main ones, and then their dew claws that are on the inside and a little bit further up the leg. And then they have four toes on each of their back feet. So they've got 18 total. In my years at the cat hospital, I've seen a lot of polydactyl cats. And one of the ones that had the most toes I've ever seen, he had over 20 toes. If I'm remembering correctly... He had 28. It might have been 25. It's been a while. Um, he's been gone for a few years now, so I don't remember the exact number. So the number of toes per foot can range a lot in polydactyl cats. I've seen a lot that just have six. So what they end up with, it's almost, um, almost like they have hands. They end up with their four fingers that you're used to seeing on their four front toes, but then they'll also have a fifth one. And I've also seen versions of polydactyl cats where they have the normal number of toes. They only have 18 toes, but instead of having the dew claw further up the leg, it's closer to their regular foot. And so it's almost like they have a thumb. I've seen a lot of cats like that, some of which had just the five toes in front and maybe they had extra toes in back. Things like that. But it's definitely something that is not super common. And it's also something that's not considered a breed normal. So if you have a cat of some sort of purebred lineage that ends up somehow becoming polydactyl, it's considered a flaw. Personally, I think it's really cute having the extra toes. I do, though, recommend caution when getting a polydactyl cat and make sure you know exactly how many toes there are and where they are. Because one thing I have seen over the years with polydactyls is that a lot of them, depending on how many toes they have, 
will have toes that are almost hidden between their other toes. They won't be as long, but there'll be a nail there and a digit. And so what can happen is instead of having all of their toe pads straight in a line, they end up with some higher, some lower, and you can get those hidden nails that then can become ingrown and cause infection and pain for the cat. So one thing I have seen happen is that sometimes veterinarians will recommend removing that little mini digit that's in between or the nail that's in between because they know it's going to be really, really hard to get to. It's going to be hard to trim and it's going to be hard to monitor, which means it's going to be more likely to ingrow and become a problem for the cat. Decline is never something I would recommend, but in those particular instances where you're just removing like the one toe that's going to possibly cause them problems the rest of their life, in that particular situation, it is not as bad. Still don't recommend it, still don't like it, but it is better than them constantly having pain and infection because the nail grows into their foot. All right, with that, we're going to go into our break and I'll be back after to talk about more cat FAQs. Okay, so this week I want to talk to you about a show on the network that I love listening to and that I think is hilarious. Granted, all of the people on it are my friends, so the humor is something I enjoy and I might be slightly biased, but I still think you should check it out. It's called WAND Radio or Wand Radio. You can listen to Emmett, played by Logan, Rupert, played by Kyle, and Calliope, played by Tessa as they lead you through the trials and tribulations of running a radio station at a magic university, specifically the High Academy for the Celestial and the Occult, otherwise known as Thacko. And don't forget about the antics of their favorite mascot, Googly Unicorn, as she sasses them when they're trying to get through the day. So I definitely recommend checking it out. You can find it at nerdsmith.org or wherever you download your podcasts. I also wanted to mention for anyone who listens to one of my other shows, Charm and Trouble, I do that show with Tessa. I play Charm and she's Trouble, a couple of sisters who are body bards working our way through a bunch of taverns in the realm. And we actually have a live show coming up. We're going to be at the Pangaea Festival in Sacramento coming up on June 10th is the day we're going to be performing at 2 o'clock. So if you want to see us live, get to know us more, maybe talk to some, actually talk to people from Nerdsmith instead of just listening to us, then please feel free to check us out there. And hopefully everything goes well because, oh God, it's a live show. Um, Yeah, so that's going to be interesting. And with that, let's get back to this week's topic. Okay, so the first frequently asked question that I'm going to talk about after the break now is one that I get asked a lot and one that I feel very strongly about. And that is, should I let my cat go outside? Personally, I don't think that house cats should be let outside. That's my personal opinion. Everyone is entitled to their own. But let me explain to you some of the reasons why I don't think it's a good idea. Number one is injury and death. So not just from cars, because obviously that is going to be a big concern, but also from other animals. If you let your cat outside, then that means if you're in an area with any kind of wildlife that might be big enough to hurt them, that becomes a risk. You also have to worry that some of your neighbor's dogs, 
who may be perfectly lovely dogs but just don't do well with small animals because they have a high prey drive might go after your cats. And it doesn't mean that the dog is a horrible dog, but it's probably a dog that doesn't live with cats for a reason. And if your cat goes into its yard, there's not a lot the owners are going to be able to do about that. Beyond that, there's also the possibility of them accidentally getting into something that they shouldn't. They might eat a plant that's poisonous for them. They might get into some antifreeze that's poisonous for them. They might get into rat bait that one of your neighbors have put out because even if you haven't, it doesn't mean you can control what other people in your neighborhood have done. There's also the risk of fighting with other cats. So this doesn't just involve injury because obviously getting injured from a fight with another cat is a big deal. But also there's the fact that when they fight with another cat, they run the risk of getting certain infectious diseases. Things like the feline AIDS virus and the feline leukemia virus, which I believe I've talked about previously. Both of them are immunosuppressive viruses, so they won't necessarily damage the cat on their own. But what happens is they suppress the immune system and make it so that the cat is more susceptible to other infections and other diseases later on. So obviously that's not a good thing either. There's also a lot of parasites they can get outside. Things like fleas, ticks, ringworm, roundworm, hookworm, uh, I could keep going, heartworm, <laughs> ear mites. I mean, there's a huge list of different things that they can come into contact with outside, some of which are harder to get rid of than others and some of which cause more problems than others. Obviously, things that are external, fleas and, par and ticks, are more noticeable to us and they're something we don't want in the house either. But then there's also things like ringworm, which is zoonotic. So what that means is that if your cat gets ringworm from something outside and then brings it into the house, you now have to worry about everyone in the house and every animal in the house potentially getting ringworm. Now, if you have lizards and snakes, I think they're immune. I'd have to look that up. I'm not 100%. But I know dogs can get it. So dogs, cats, humans, if you have children in the house, now you have to worry that your children might get ringworm because your cat went outside and got exposed. So that's another big reason. There's also, unfortunately, the human risk factor because there are people out there who are just not great people, unfortunately. I wish it wasn't true, but it is. And so especially during Halloween, we recommend caution with letting black cats out, for example, because you never know what's going to happen or what people are going to do. I personally have seen cats come into the hospital that have been shot with BB guns. Um, I've seen things online, though thankfully have never seen it personally, where the cats have been shot with arrows and things like that, which is just horrible. But that is something you have to worry about, unfortunately, is that not everyone is cat friendly. Not everyone is going to treat your cat the way you do. So letting them outside, you run the risk of not only other animals, but also what other people might do to them. There's also the risk of them getting lost and being picked up by animal control, especially if your cat is not microchipped or does not have a collar. Now, if it has either one of those things, there's still a chance that someone else is going to pick it up or that it might get lost. But at least if it has some sort of identifying marker that they can track back, you have a better chance of getting it back. I do recommend microchipping, and I do recommend that if you, let your, if you are going to let your cat outside, which, like I said, I don't recommend, but if you're going to let your cat outside, make sure it's got a collar on. Because as many identifiers as you can put on it, the more likely you are to get it back if it wanders off or if it somehow gets picked up by someone thinking it was a stray. There are some downsides to keeping your cat indoor only. 
One of the big ones is obviously the exercise factor because when they're outside, they're going to be doing a lot more exercising than they are inside. There are things you can do to help alleviate this problem. Things like putting lots of cat trees in the house, giving them lots of toys, playing with them throughout the day as much as they'll let you because, you know, they're cats. They may not want to when you want to. Things like that. Another problem with them not staying indoors is that a lot of people see their their nature as being one that deserves the freedom to be outside. You know, it's it's the natural habitat for the cat to be outside. And I do agree with that to a certain extent because that was the case when they were originally domesticated. However, at this point, we have bred them to be cared for by us. We have bred them to be indoor cats. They have spent thousands of years being acclimated to living with humans in human environments. And so while it's true that at their core, a cat does like to explore and they do like to go out and wander around, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's still safe for them to do that because of what our society, what our world has become, all of the potential threats for them. It's still not necessarily safe. This actually leads into the next frequently asked question, which is, do microchips cause cancer? So this is a tricky one. There's a lot of pros to microchipping your pets. Number one, obviously, is it's another identifier for if they get out or if they get picked up by someone. There's also been cases where animals, especially purebred animals, may have been stolen. I haven't personally had this happen, thankfully, but I've heard of it happening. And in those cases, if the animal has a microchip, that microchip can then be traced back to the original owner. So later on, if whoever stole your dog or cat, for instance, sells it to a, a third party, and that third party doesn't know it's stolen and takes it to the vet, well, when the vet scans it and finds a microchip, they have that information. They can look up the information that goes with the microchip, which means you have a chance of getting your pet back. There's also been some cases where something like this happened or where the animal got picked up by a shelter and for whatever reason wasn't scanned properly. And so, you know, a little while down the road, the owner was able to get it back because the microchip proved in court that it was their pet and not someone else's. So things like that are very, very big, especially for me personally, the biggest one is the fact that if a vet or the ASPCA or anything like that scans the chip, they'll be able to get the cat back to me, which is what I want. And my dogs are microchipped as well for the same reason. Now, the cons, um, in my opinion, the cons are significantly lesser. However, everyone is entitled to their own opinion on this one. Uh, for one, one concern is the potential injury at the injection site. Not cancer necessarily, but just infection or discomfort from the injection site. Another problem is that some microchips, if they're not placed perfectly, will migrate to other areas of the body. I know at my hospital, we've seen some that have ended up on the chest area instead of between the shoulder blades. And we've had some that traveled like into the armpit areas on cats instead of being in the shoulder blade area. For us, what our hospital does is if a chip that we placed has migrated to a strange spot, we will place another one at no charge because we want to make sure that if that cat gets picked up by someone who doesn't scan the entire cat and only scans the shoulder blade area, that a microchip will be found. We would rather it have two microchips in it that both track back to the proper owner rather than have it get out there and somehow the microchip get missed. 
but that's just us. In terms of do microchips cause cancer, I can say that I personally have never seen a tumor in a cat that we could track back to being caused by a microchip. I do know that there have been some cases where there were tumors that developed at the injection site, but whether it was caused by the microchip or some other factor is hard to say. For example, there are some vaccines that are not supposed to be given in the shoulder blade area, but if the cat is particularly aggressive or if it's at some sort of spay-neuter clinic, they might have you know, just in a hurry trying to get everything done, done it in a spot they wouldn't normally because they have such a high volume going through. So it's not impossible. It could be a vaccine injection reaction or there could have been something else that happened at that site that caused it. We don't know for certain that it was the microchip. So it's a little hard to say on that point. But I can tell you in the 12 years I've been working at the cat hospital I work at, I have not seen an injection site reaction from a microchip that we thought caused a tumor. Okay, so the last question that is frequently asked about cats that I, again, get asked a lot at work and that has been seen online is, how do I tell if my cat's overweight? This one is actually fairly straightforward. If you take your fingers and run them along your cat's rib cage, you should be able to clearly feel each of your cat's ribs. There should be a thin layer of fat between the skin and the muscle and the ribs. So you should feel a little bit of tissue between your fingers and the ribs, but you should be able to feel the rib bones. If you can't feel them at all, then your cat is most likely overweight. If you can feel them a little bit, but not great, they might be just slightly overweight. But this is one of the ways you can use to determine whether or not your cat is overweight or pretty good. If you can feel all of the ribs, then, I mean, you should check with your vet, but most likely you're not in too much danger of them being severely overweight. If you can't feel anything, if you can't even tell where the ribs are in the rib cage, then they might be a little on the hefty side and you should probably talk to your vet about weight loss plans. And with that, I'm going to call that an end to this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed this two-parter on different cat FAQs and that you found it informative. Um, As usual, cats are something I can talk about pretty much endlessly, so I'm sorry if I repeated myself at any points during this episode. I didn't catch myself doing it, but that doesn't mean I didn't do it. So, I'll be back next week. Please remember to check out the other wonderful podcasts and productions here at nerdsmith.org. I'll be back next week with a new and interesting topic, and until then... Don't forget to geek thyself. Sorry, guys. We got to jump in. I'm sorry. What do you do? What do you mean jump in? You're going to do a wild jump. You're going to kill I us all. I don't have a choice. Oh, I'm no, sorry. No, this isn't good. You know what happened last time. It, we're not. I got to go. Sorry. Uh, hold guys, on. Guys, we're taking fire. Just land us near a hospital. Hold on. 
like what you hear? This is a small sample of the action and excitement that await you every Monday on the Chaotic Goodness Podcast. Download us on your favorite podcast app and join us for space opera, action, adventure, and lots and lots of console cleaning. Let the chaos begin. Now we can be found as part of the Nerd Smith Podcast Network. Find us at nerdsmith.org.